Good morning. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed the, the worship this morning. The first Seventh-day Adventist church I attended was in Sydney, in Karimbar. Uh, maybe some of you have been there before. And we sang hymns, so I grew up on hymns, and I just, I love, I love hymns. So thank you for the, the special items and uh, everything this morning. It's been a real blessing. And thank you, Monique, for your kid's story as well. Pastor Abel and I are very excited about 2018. We're very happy to be here and to be your pastors this year and, and hopefully into the future as well. And um, we're looking forward to seeing God's leading here in this congregation and also in this community in Kurumbong. So um, we're very, very happy to be here. Pastor Abel will be, will be preaching next week, so make sure you're here. Um, he's here today, you may have already seen him, but he's preaching down in, uh, in Plus One, so make sure you're here next week to hear him preach. For this week, you just have to be um, happy with me. I hope that's okay. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the greatest gift of all, the gift of Jesus Christ, and we thank you that because of you, Lord, we have life and we have life eternal. We thank you for the great gift of the Sabbath and that we can come together and worship here in this place. And as we do this morning, we ask that you speak to us. We invite your presence here in fulfilment of your promise where two or more are gathered, you are there in the midst of them. And so fulfill this promise. We also ask that your holy angels, which you have sent as ministering spirits to minister unto those who are heirs of salvation, will be around this place, that you will speak to our hearts. And Lord, be with our families, be with our friends, be with those who may be watching um, online, on TV, who may be in other places around the world. Be with all your family. And as we open up your word, Bless us, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. My wife is afraid of mice. She's not the first woman to be afraid of mice, and I'm sure she won't be the last. A few years ago, I was in my study at home when I heard one of those blood-curdling screams that really you should only hear on, in horror movies. I jumped up and ran to the kitchen, fearing the worst. I thought an intruder had entered the house and was attacking my wife. Instead, what I found was Susan standing on a chair and a little mouse scurrying away as fast as it could. I did what every man would do in that situation. First, I told her to never scream like that unless her life was in danger. Then I laughed. Finally, I spent the rest of that evening moving furniture to, to catch that mouse. And I did. 
I'm not scared of mice, to be honest. I, I think they're quite cute. I do, however, hate cockroaches. When I was much younger, between the ages of six and eight, living in Sydney, my parents owned a corner store. I come from a, a Greek family and many Greeks in the 80s, I think, owned stores and, and takeaway shops and my parents had one of those. And because there was food, there, they would attract cockroaches. And it seemed as though every cockroach around the shop conspired to fly towards my head. They were huge. Maybe I I was much shorter then and much smaller and maybe that's why they looked so big, but they were huge, they were black and they would always fly and they would always aim for my head. So I hated them and I still do. Even now, if I see a cockroach... I freeze. I just don't like it. You know, when we're faced with danger as human beings, we do one of two things. We either stand and fight or we flee for our lives. Isn't that right? It's the the fight or flight. We usually do one or the other. For many... Our natural instinct is to run in the face of danger. And that's the right thing to do, usually. See, if you come across a brown snake while walking out here, you're not going to try and pick it up, are you? You're going to pause, you'll probably back up and just wait for it to pass because you know that it can kill you. If there's a fully grown lion charging towards you with the intention of making you dinner, you're going to retreat, aren't you? That's what you would do. It's instinct to do that in the face of danger. But what if, what if we went against our instinct and we went against our reason? What if we became counterintuitive in the face of danger and what if we faced our lions or our mice or our cockroaches, whatever it might be? What if we believed that God is bigger than anything placed before us and that we, we could move forward in confidence, believing in what God would do? What if we faced our fears and conquered them? In the Bible, there's a man that did just that, and his story is found in 2 Samuel chapter 23. If you have your Bibles with me, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 23. It's in the Old Testament. It's the book of 2 Samuel chapter 23. In this chapter... Starting, with, uh, starting from verse 8, the author here describes King David's closest warriors. King David was the second king of Israel after King Saul. And here in this chapter is described 
his closest warriors, his mightiest warriors, and his closest friends. There were 37 in total, and their courage unmatched, their loyalty undivided. Let's read, starting in verse 20. 2 Samuel chapter 23, starting in verse 20. Benaiah was the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man from Kabzil, who had done many deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. And he killed an Egyptian, a spectacular man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, so he went down to him with a staff, wrestled the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and killed him with his own spear. These things Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, did, and won the name among, won a name, excuse me, among three mighty men. He was more honoured than the thirty, but he did not attain to the first three. And David appointed him over his guard. When Saul was the king of Israel, David was the captain of the king's bodyguard. Now David, as king of Israel, gives this important position to Benaiah. In the book of Chronicles, we are also told that at one time, Benaiah was the commander of 24,000 troops and that he became part of David's inner circle, his council, if you like. So Benaiah has proved himself, as we read there, and he's trusted by David. He's a mighty man, as we read, a great warrior. But what I love about, about him what I love about Benaiah is that he is not only a skilled warrior, but that when he comes by chance face to face with a lion on a cold, snowy day, he doesn't turn and run. Instead, he faces his fears, he gives chase, and he kills the lion. So, usually the script for man versus lion, usually goes something like this. Man accidentally encounters lion. Man runs. Lion chases. King of the beasts eats man for lunch. That's usually how the script goes, right? But Benaiah, he rewrites the script. He tips it upside down. Something about him causes the lion to turn tail and run. And Benaiah, he gives chase. A fully grown lion can run up to 60 kilometres an hour. But that doesn't faze Benaiah. He gives chase and he follows the lion's prince in the snow until he corners him in a pit. And there he kills him. Today I want to talk to you about chasing your dreams. And it's that time of year 
the, in January, we've just had New Year's, and it's the time of year where people are making resolutions and usually breaking them too. But I want to talk to you about dreams as opposed to resolutions because I found that resolutions can tend to be very selfish. Usually our resolutions are something like, I want to lose some weight this year or I want to eat healthier, or I want to be healthy, and, and these are all good things. Sometimes our resolutions are a little more noble, sometimes we, we say things like, I want to spend more time in prayer, or more time um, in blessing the community, or more time in God's Word. But the problem with resolutions is that we usually don't have anyone anyone to hold us accountable to them. And that's why we break them within a few days. Dreams, however, and this is what I want to speak to you about, is dreams and purpose. Dreams must, if they're, if they're God-given, must, be, uh, must come out of community and must bless community. And that's what I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about standing in the presence of your enemies or danger or any obstacle placed before you and moving forward confidently, fulfilling your destiny, knowing that God is with you. And I want to share with you um, what I've learned from college, a big idea. And if, if you if there is nothing else you take from this sermon today, I want you to take this with you, and this is the, my big idea, and that is, if your dream doesn't scare you, it's too small. If your dream doesn't scare you, it's too small. And you could really, you could put in there, if your dream or your vision or your life's purpose if it doesn't scare you, it's too small. You see, often we dream small because we fear what might happen if we dream big. We dream small because we fear what we have to do or, or give up or what we may have to sacrifice if we dream big. Or sometimes... We dream small because we don't believe that God still does miracles. And I fear that the size of our dream is the most accurate measure of the size of our God. I fear that the size of our dream is the most accurate measure of the size of our God. But what if what if God is bigger than our biggest problems? What if God is bigger than our biggest mistakes, our worst failure, our greatest sin? What if God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine? What if God wants our dreams? What if God wants your dream to be God-sized so that you will recognise, so that I will recognise that they are beyond our ability. 
beyond our resources, and that unless God does it, it cannot be done. You know, when Jesus turned the water into wine, the word impossible should have been deleted from our vocabulary. When Jesus fed 5,000 with just five loaves of bread and two fish, the word impossible should have been deleted from our vocabulary. When Jesus walked on water and calmed the storm, the word impossible should have been deleted from our vocabulary. When Jesus healed the sick and the blind and the lame, the word impossible should have been deleted from our vocabulary. When Jesus healed the man possessed with demons, the word impossible should have been deleted from our vocabulary. When Jesus raised Jairus' daughter and the widow's son and Lazarus from the dead, the word impossible should have been deleted from our vocabulary. And when Jesus conquered the, the grave, when he conquered death and he rose from the grave on that glorious Sunday morning, the word impossible should have been forever deleted from our vocabulary. If you're still not convinced that God can do the impossible, if you're still not convinced that God wants you to to dream big, bigger than you could ever imagine, here are some Bible verses. I'll quickly read them out to you. Matthew 19, 26, Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but with God, everything is possible. Romans 8, 31, what can we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Ephesians 3, 20, now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Philippians 4.13, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And there's an abundance of Bible verses reminding us of God's continual presence, His leading and His strength in our lives. Dream big. Imagine great things for God and pursue them. Put yourself in a place where you have nothing but faith, prayer, and the community of God to sustain you. And I've put in there the community of God deliberately because, as I said earlier, any God-given dream must be born out of community. See, your dreams are not grown in isolation. Your life's purpose is not meant to be lived in isolation. You, you were never meant to be separate from everyone else. You were created in the image of God, and part of that means that you were created to be in community, to give, to receive a blessing. You discover who you are in community. You know, when we were born as children, we were totally dependent on someone else to care for us. As babies, we couldn't do anything. We couldn't even hold up our own heads. We were totally dependent upon someone else to feed us and to clean us and to hold us and to care for us. And at some point, as we got older, usually around our teenage years, we moved from a place of total dependence 
to a place of independence. It begins a little earlier, and as adults, we encourage that. We encourage our children to move from a place of total dependence to a place of independence. And sometimes that process is difficult. As teenagers, you know, they they fight with their parents and, and try to figure out who they are, and this process of independence happens. The problem sometimes is that people move from a place of dependence to a place of independence and stay there. But real maturity occurs when we move from dependence to independence and then interdependence. Interdependence is mutual dependence, is when we realise that we need each other. That's real maturity. See, the reality is that we need each other. You need me and I need you. Hey, that's what you wanted to hear this morning, wasn't it? A weird-looking 40-year-old Greek man saying to you, you need me, huh? That's what you thought you'd hear this morning, isn't it? But the reality is that we need each other. Your dream is meant to inspire dreamers. Your greatest legacy isn't your dream. Your greatest legacy is the next generation of dreamers that your dream inspires. You see, success is succession. And that's how our dreams outlive us. And if your dream, if your life's purpose, if your vision is too big for you, maybe it's because it's just not for you. Maybe it's because your dream is to inspire others. It's also for other people. And we might not know till eternity how far-reaching our dreams are how far-reaching your dreams are. See, I'm here and I'm a result of many people that have gone before me, that have blessed me, that have challenged me. I'm a result of all of those things that have happened in my life, all the people that have impacted me. I'm the sum of all my decisions and some of those have been good, many more have been bad. Character, does not grow in isolation and dreams are meant to be shared. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, I don't have a dream, I don't know what my dream is or or my life's purpose. That's okay. Hang around people that do. Hang around people that do have a dream, that do know what their life's purpose is and help them achieve it. Because in doing so, you might just find out what your dream is. You might just find out what your life's purpose is. Right back at the start of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, in the first book of the Bible, in the first chapter, he's described the creation of the world. And you know, there's no reason for us to believe that 
the universe is still not expanding. It's still expanding. Right there in Genesis 1, where God says, let there be light, and he creates everything. He creates the stars and and all that we see around us. That word is still powerful, and he's still working. It's still creating today. God's word is still as alive and strong and powerful today as it was when it was first spoken. Did you know that astronomers have pegged the universe's current expansion rate at around about 71.9 kilometres per second per megaparsec. If there's any mathematicians there, I'm sure you can figure that out. One megaparsec is about 3.26 million light years. So the universe, this is called the Hubble constant, the universe is still expanding, 71.9 kilometres per second per megaparsec, and one megaparsec is around about 3.26 million light years. I'm sure our mathematicians have already figured that out. Is that right? It's, it's still growing. Why am I sharing this? Because God's Word is still as powerful today as it was in Genesis 1. And as a community of believers, as the body of Christ, our words have the power to create dreams or to destroy them. See, the way we speak to each other is so vitally important. God placed us in community so that we can help each other fulfil our dreams, discover our dreams and our visions and our purpose. That's why we're here. And it may just be something as simple as maybe one word spoken, one meal eaten together. Maybe it was uh, uh, something as simple as a, as a, a, a gift given or an, armed, an arm put around someone in comfort. Maybe it's one sermon passionately lived, not preached, but lived one Bible verse that can change or inspire someone for eternity and for greatness. Wilson Bentley was born in 1865 on a farm in Jericho, Vermont, in the US, and by the age of 14, he loved science and wanted to explore science firsthand. He was given a microscope, but he was fascinated with the weather and especially snow. Wilson wanted to photograph snow. And in Jericho there, where he grew up, it was an ideal place because there um, it snowed regularly and it produced an average annual snowfall of over 120 inches. So he was in the perfect place. At the age of 16, he learnt about a camera that he could connect to a microscope to take photos, to take pictures. So he saved for a year to buy this camera and then it took him another year of failed attempts before he photographed 
the first ever, uh, he was the first person, excuse me, to photograph a snowflake. His inspiration, one Bible verse. Job 38, 22, have you entered the storehouses of the snow? That was his inspiration. One verse inspired him and he ended up capturing over 5,000 images of snowflakes. They have said for many, many years afterwards, no one else took photos of snowflakes because his were so good. One verse became the script for Wilson Bentley's life. That's all it took. And it may just take, you know, one word spoken. One, just one thing done for someone that may inspire them for greatness. You know, this journey of discovering and living your dream, your life's purpose, isn't always easy. You have to work hard. You have to pray. You have to sacrifice in order to achieve it. Sometimes you may fall and stumble, but that's okay. That's okay. Because nothing worth fighting for comes easy. God today still creates. He still moves. He still leads his church today as he did in the past. And the odds may be stacked against you, but that's okay. Because impossible is God's time to shine. Impossible odds set the stage for God's miracles. Impossible odds set the stage for God's miracles. That's why he led Moses and the nation of Israel to a place where they were, they were surrounded. They had the mountains on either side of them. They had the Red Sea in front of them. They had the Egyptian army behind them. Impossible odds set the stage for God's miracles. That's why he removed 9,700 soldiers from Gideon's army. Because impossible odds set the stage for God's miracles. That's why he let the fiery furnace be heated seven times hotter. Because impossible odds set the stage for God's miracles. That's why he didn't show up until Lazarus was dead for four days. Because impossible odds set the stage for God's miracles. All he asks us to do is to walk forward in faith, to trust him. 2018 has just started. We've got a great year ahead of us. And God is with us. God is saying to us at the start of this year, dream big create vision and purpose, plan, do great things. And when the odds are stacked against you, trust me, trust me. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2, final verse, 
And I'll let you go. I've gone a little over. Apologies. Acts chapter 2. If you doubt, if you think maybe you're too old or you're too young, remember this verse, Acts chapter 2, verse 17. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. We're talking about dreams and vision and purpose. And it doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. God is saying, I will pour out my Spirit on you. Maybe you've had a dream for many, many years and you've never fulfilled it. Maybe now is the time for you to step out in faith and fulfill God's dream that he has placed on your heart, his purpose for you. Just before Christmas, I received a phone call. It's one of those perfect phone calls that that as a pastor you just love to receive. A lady rang me and she said, I've been reading the Bible and it's I've been reading about the Sabbath and I think I need to start keeping the Sabbath. You just you don't often receive phone calls like that as a pastor. So I said, okay. And, and, and she said, can you tell me about the Sabbath? And so we, 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 I spoke to her on the phone uh, and I shared with her some verses about the Sabbath and she said, okay, you've convinced me. I said, oh, wow, that, that was easy, that was good. She said to me, I've got another question. Do, 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 do you, in your church, do you believe that Jesus is God? And so I started talking to her about the divinity of Christ, shared with her some Bible verses. She said, okay, I'm convinced. So oh, two for two, I'm doing well. Perfect phone call, I told you. She said, I've got another question. Do you speak in tongues? So I said, okay, well, I, 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 I shared with her some Bible verses. I spoke to her about the, uh, the reason for spiritual gifts and why God gives us spiritual gifts and went to Acts here and talked to her about what biblical tongues is. She said, okay, you've convinced me. I'm coming to church. I rang the pastor or that was closest to her. She lives up north, uh, quite a few hours away up near Grafton. And I rang the pastor and I, I spoke to and I said, look, you've got to visit this lady. She's keen. So on that next Sabbath, she was at church. I rang her afterwards. I said, how did it go? She said, oh, it was so good. I'll be back. And over the next few, over the last month, we've been ringing. I've been speaking to her every once a week. I call her. She calls me and we chat. She has questions about the Bible. We have Bible studies on the phone. She said to me, she said, Pastor, keeping the Sabbath has been the hardest thing that God has asked me to do. She said, I only just became a Christian a few months ago. Literally, she was just baptised in the last three months or so. Just became a Christian. She said, God told me to give up alcohol and I gave it up. 
Then God said to me, I want you to leave your partner. Her partner didn't want to have anything to do with God or Christianity. They weren't married. So she left him. And she said, now God has asked me to keep Sabbath. And it's so hard. And I'm thinking, you just gave up alcohol. You just kicked your partner out. And this is hard? I said to her, as you follow God faithfully, walk in the light that He has revealed to you, He will bless you, He will give you more light, and He will walk with you. Memorial Church, Avondale Memorial Church, as we head into 2018, as we walk in the light that God has revealed to us, as we are faithfully following Him, He will bless us as we seek to fulfill our purpose and our dream for this community. God bless you.